What's up, everybody? My name's Athena, and you're here for another episode of Vanished in the Valley. So, today, we're going to talk a little bit about I'll Be Gone in the Dark, one woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer, which is a book I just read by Michelle McNamara. And I know hella people have been talking about the Golden State Killer for a while now, and I'm just about to talk to him because I didn't realize this motherfucker, like, was all over the East Bay, all over my hood, raping and killing. And I actually have kind of like a personal story that uh, relates to him. We are also going to talk about the whole Instagram ban situation and what's going on with that. And I got a treat for, uh, on Thursday, guys, uh, Sidekick Ken. We're back. We did a little recording yesterday. I just thought it was kind of appropriate because he's the one that got me down the rabbit hole of the whole child sex trafficking, Luciferian nightmare. And that's kind of what got me banned from Instagram. So I figured it would be kind of a <laughs> be kind of fitting to have him back for a little bonus episode. I'm also going to talk a little about this cool website I just found. It's called NationalConcealedCarryAssociation.com and I found some of the most, I don't know, they're like super top shelf knives in my opinion and they literally have some awesome prices. But yeah, I'll get into more detail about that a little bit later. But for now, let's get started with Joseph D'Angelo, also known as the Golden State Killer the original Night Stalker, the vet, all, all kinds of names. He's got literally a list of names. If you go to Wikipedia, they literally list like five or six different names. But he is an American serial killer, serial rapist, burglar. He was also a cop, I think for like six years. He killed 13 people, 50 rapes, and 100 burglaries across California. And that was between 1973 and 1986. But, you know, there could be more. That's just the stuff he was actually prosecuted for. He ended up taking a deal with the prosecutors in Sacramento. So they took the death penalty off the table and gave him like 80 billion life sentences. So he will not be getting out of prison anytime soon. Apparently, he still like jerks off as the female guards walk by in his cell. So he's all fucked up. He definitely belongs in a cell or fucking rotting in the ground, in my opinion. But whatever, let's kind of start at the beginning so everybody gets an idea of what this fucking weirdo is all about. So he was born in New York in 1945. His dad worked for the army and his mom was just kind of like a housemaker, homemaker, whatever you call it. And he kind of uh, fitted the triad, the serial killer triad. He had a thing for fire, for hurting animals. I didn't really read anything about wetting the bed, but who knows? I <laughs> There's a, like a huge details into his penis, and I'll get into that a little bit later. I know you can't wait. But anyway, so he was in the Navy, like a bunch of other fucking serial killers. They always come from some branch of the military. And after the military, he went to Sacramento State, and he got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So he ended up working for the police department in Exeter, California, and he was actually in the burglary unit. So he ended up moving to Citrus Heights, then he worked at the Auburn Police Department until 
He got fired because he got caught shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. He got just a little sentence of six months probation, but he was fired. This next part, I don't know, it's kind of important because later on it comes into play with some of his crimes. In 1970, he became engaged to Bonnie Jean Colwell, who was a classmate of his at one of the colleges that he attended. She did end up breaking off the relationship with him, and this crazy motherfucker took a gun, came and knocked on this girl's window one morning, pointed at her face and said, come on, we're going to Reno, like insinuating they were going to go get married. So Reno is this town in Nevada, guys, if you're not sure about it. It's kind of like Vegas. You can go like get these super quick weddings or whatever. Yours truly, Athena, actually got married there once. I don't recommend it. Don't ever do it. <laughs> but anyway, so... He ends up getting married for, you know, real. This chick didn't break it off immediately. He gets married to a woman named Sharon. They have three kids who were, two were born in Sacramento. One was born in L.A., but they separated in 1991. So well after his little reign of fucking terror. And apparently the wife, the kids, as usual, had no fucking idea this guy was going out raping, murdering, and a burglar, basically terrorizing and destroying lives. They had no clue. And that's not like a blame on them. It seems like most serial killers, their family and friends literally have no idea. These people are so on point with their like separation of their lives game that no one ever knows. And it's usually a shock. So a lot of people think that Joseph D'Angelo kind of like started his little psycho crime game in Visalia, which is a town in Central California. They called him the Visalia Ransacker, basically just because he did over like 20 month period, he's responsible for one murder and 120 burglaries just in Visalia. They never caught him. And the weird thing is he would like scatter women's clothing around, steal coins and other low value or personal items while ignoring like valuable items like jewelry or wads of cash. It didn't feel like he was doing these burglaries to like have some monetary gain. It was definitely some kind of a compulsion. So after Visalia, D'Angelo then ups his game and he moves. He goes to Sacramento around 1976 and at this point he starts his whole little rape game. And earlier I told you about the whole being engaged to a woman named Bonnie. One of the victims said this crazy motherfucker, after raping her, goes to the corner and starts shaking and rocking and yelling at a woman named Bonnie, saying that she he hated Bonnie. And eventually, you know, when he got caught, fucking 30-something years later, they were able to determine he was engaged to this woman named Bonnie. There was like a whole announcement in the newspaper. So... Some investigators kind of thought that his whole abuse and rape of women was misdirecting or kind of redirecting his rage at this girl that broke up with him to all of these other women. He started with, you know, just raping single women in homes and he started breaking into homes where couples were located. And they think that happens because... One day in Sacktown, they decide to have like a little town meeting because all the residents are in a super panic about it. And check this out. This is super fucked up. A man in the audience stands up and kind of just says, you know, he's never going to break into a house where there's a man there, you know, something along those lines. And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, this man and his wife were targeted. 
what he would do is tie up the husband or the man in the house and sometimes put plates on their back. And he would tell this man that if I hear these plates fall over, I'm going to kill your girl. So he would take the woman in the next room, tie her up and rape and just abuse and terrorize her for hours before fleeing into the night. Sometimes what he would do with his victims is he would have them tied up and blindfolded and he would kind of act like he left. He would sit there for 45 minutes, not making a sound. And when this person finally got the courage up to try to untie themselves, he would pounce on them again. So it was just like a super, it was like a game of terror to him. He fucking got off on these people's fear. And a lot of the victims, I love this part, reported that his penis was like micro small and super rough as if he played with it too much. And that's a quote from one of the victims. So this guy has like small dick syndrome. He might even be a have short man syndrome. I'm not exactly sure. He was like 5'9"-ish, so probably. But anyway, he, he, went off, he went on a rampage. After Sacramento is kind of when he comes to my hood, the East Bay, Contra Costa County, and the areas around there. And it, I just, the only reason this guy stuck out to me when, you know, he was caught and everything is years ago when I was a kid, I remember a story my parents told me. At the time, they had just gotten married. It was like 1978, 1979. And they were living in this little shitty apartment off Willow Pass in Concrete, California. And D'Angelo actually hit two apartments within a mile of their apartment. So everybody in Concord at the time was like super on alert. They knew there was a rapist in town. And one night they're sleeping and it's around 3 o'clock in the morning. Because everything bad seems to happen around 3 o'clock. I don't know why. But anyways, they hear a crash in the apartment. And my dad, I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm going to. This motherfucker slept with a gun in his bed as long as I've known him. He was a cop, so I don't mean, I don't know if that's too normal, abnormal. It was the 80s, so come on, chill. But anyways, he grabs his gun and runs out there. And it was actually just their cat fucking doing what cats do at 3 o'clock in the morning. So that's why this guy kind of stuck out at me. But before reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark, I had no idea that he also hit so many towns up and down 680, which is a freeway in California. He hit Danville, Walnut Creek, Concord, San Ramon, Fremont. So all of these places, this is all the East Bay. And he hit the East Bay 10 times. So I totally get how everybody here was just on their last nerve with it. So after his East Bay terror, he moved on to a city called Goleta. He was actually almost caught this time. Apparently, you know, he's fucking talking to himself and nobody knows if he was talking to himself to try to get the victims to think he had a partner or if he's just batshit crazy. Maybe it's a mix of the two. But anyway, the two people he had tied up, and this is October 1st, 1979, he breaks into this Goleta couple's house and the man and the woman were actually able to escape. The woman runs out screaming and he realizes, you know, the gig is up. He better get his ass out of there. He runs away on a bike and there just happens to be an FBI agent neighbor who comes out because he hears all the commotion and he tried to actually get this guy. He had the chance to shoot him later on, you know, 2020 vision. He thought about, damn, you know, I could have just shot this guy. But at the time, he doesn't even know what's going on. And, of course, Joseph D'Angelo gets away. That's probably the closest time he ever came to getting caught. 
Because after that, he goes on and he does kill a couple more people in Goleta. And the crimes continue for the next six years. 1986 is when the authorities think that he committed his last murder. He killed 18-year-old Janelle Cruz on May 4th. He ended up bludgeoning her to death in her Irvine home. She was the only one home. Her whole other family was off on vacation in Mexico at the time. It took a while. These these crimes weren't connected until, geez, I think it was, uh, what, the 90s when DNA came out? Late 90s? Early 2000s? So it's like 30 years later, they're able to connect this guy's reign of terror all up and down California for, you know, about 10 years. You know, a lot of people already heard this story. There's an investigator in Contra Costa County who worked for the Contra Costa County Sheriff's uh, named Paul Hole, and he was kind of obsessive about it. And because of his hard work and the lab that he oversaw and, you know, some other people like Michelle McNamara, people weren't giving up on this guy. And thankfully, out of all this new technology with DNA and Ancestry.com, one of these little sites came out called GEDmatch. And it's a little bit different than Ancestry.com and all the others. Ancestry.com, you actually swab your cheek and mail it back. With GEDmatch, you're just inputting the information yourself and doing a search. And that's how the investigators were able to finally tie all these crimes to Joseph D'Angelo. GEDmatch is still the only one right now that will work with law enforcement. And the way it works is when you sign up for GEDmatch, you have to actually click a little box that says it's okay for investigators to use your information. If you don't click the box, they can't use it. But like I said, as of right now, that's the only system law enforcement has to try to connect old crimes, cold crimes, that kind of situation with DNA to unknown perpetrators, basically. Hope you got it. I kind of talked about GEDmatch on a previous episode, the one about Mostly Harmless Hiker. As of right now, I do know they've uploaded the DNA to GEDmatch, but I don't believe we've had a hit. Haven't really heard anything since they've uploaded it. So if I get updates on that case, you know, I'll, I'll update you and all that fun stuff. If you want to know more about this piece of shit, Joseph D'Angelo, check out that book I was talking about, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. There's so many more details that I could ever possibly tell you about. This woman like dedicated years to researching this fucking disgusting human being. And unfortunately, she passed away a couple of years before he actually was caught. But she was like instrumental in getting him caught, kind of like drumming up media and social media and support. She had a blog about him. She went hard. She went all out on this case and... Up top to her, she fucking worked her ass off. Old school true crimer. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Department ended up arresting this motherfucker on April 24th, 2018. At that time, he was charged with eight counts of first degree murder with special circumstances. And he ends up getting charged in a bunch of other counties because, you know, his crimes were all over. And he kind of uh, made a confession after he was arrested I don't know if he's just trying to act crazy or, I mean, he probably is really crazy, but literally he says that there's like another entity inside of him named Jerry that he can't push out. So he tries to blame all of this horrible life-wrecking shit he did to so many people on another personality that he couldn't control. But anyway, he got arraigned, you know, prosecuted, he took a plea deal, all that fun stuff. 
And what I thought was kind of cool is all the victim statements during the trial. All, not all of them. You know, some of them are dead now. Some of them he murdered. And some of them just didn't want to face him. So they had other people come read their statements. It went on for a while. And it's super moving. You guys should watch it. These people all survived this motherfucker. And, you know, some of them had hard times after. But they survived. They got through it. And they got to see this guy in a wheelchair and behind bars. And that's where he's going to spend the rest of his life. So, haha, little bitch, you got caught. Okay, so now on to a little different topic here. On to the Instagram ban. So that first night, that night I went on the rant, I think it was a Thursday bonus episode. I had just found out about it. I was super pissed, felt like a slap in the face because all the hard work I had done. But... After thinking about it for a while, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad this happened now before I put any more work into it because I only had the account for like six months. But apparently I was checking it out and there's people that had like hundreds of thousands of followers that were making hella money on it, snatched up for apparently small reasons, no reasons, ridiculous reasons, censorship, all that fun stuff. And at one point it was super discouraging because I was having multiple people tell me that we need censorship because people are too stupid to figure out fake news or fake information or conspiracy theories from the truth. These are the same people that watch either CNN or Fox or don't watch any of that and literally the whole lives are just like sports or something. They don't care what's going on. And even if you gave them a smoking gun, they would still deny it and say, no way, that's just a toad or, you know, some other bullshit like that. So they don't want to see head in the sand type thing. And it's super discouraging. But it's not going to stop me from screaming from the rooftops. Fuck censorship. And yeah, I'm kind of uh, glad Instagram kicked me off now before I put too much work into it. I finally signed up for Parler. I'm still trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> the only person I've found so far that I follow, Ron Paul, what's up? Um, he's got this cool Liberty Channel report. If you guys are into uh, Ron Paul, libertarian shit, go check it out. I know he's on Instagram, probably Facebook. I know they censor him on Facebook, so I don't know if that's the best place to check him out. So, I don't know. But shoot, Parlor, go check out his videos there. He's super smart. He's like, I don't know. He's written a hell of books. One of them is Don't Steal. The Government Doesn't Like Competition. He actually ran for president. I think uh, the last time, but the media kind of did a whole blackout on him like they did with Joe Jorgensen. So, yeah, we never got to actually have a chance with Ron Paul. I think a couple episodes ago, maybe the one right before my fucking Instagram nervous breakdown, I was talking about this company that I had found. It's called National Concealed Carry Association. They have a website. It's nationalconcealedcarryassociation.com. But... I, uh, I found them, and the reason I'm talking about them today is they have a super bomb selection of knives, and I was checking out the prices and the different models and everything, and holy shit, you guys, they have got some of the best prices I have seen, and this is, I'm not, like, getting paid to say that or anything. I actually just got the Kershaw Leak, and woo, holy shit, guys. They got uh, the copper version on the NCCA website, and it's, I think it's about like, hold on, let me do some math. <laughs> this could take a minute. But yeah, the one on, if you go to the Kershaw website itself, it's like $105 plus all, you know, taxes and fun shit. 
But if you go on the National Concealed Carry Association website, it's $80 and some change. So what the hell, dude? I don't know why I haven't always been buying my knives from them. But anyways, I'm going to take a picture of some of the knives I just got and I will put that up on the parlor account and maybe the Facebook. I don't know if I'm going to even like bother doing anything there because I'll probably get kicked off. But go check it out. Let me just tell you, the Kershaw Leak is just like a really good knife for everyday carry because it's small, it's sleek, so you can like fit it in your pocket, even girl pockets. And the assisted open mechanism, holy shit, see if you guys can hear this. Click. Anyway, yeah, it has a nice small blade. It's like three and a half inches. They've got different colors. I have the olive and I have the stainless steel. I'm not as fancy as the copper, but I might actually check that one out. But like I said, go check it out. I'll get pictures up on the parlor in a bit. And um, I actually got, check this out, guys. I got a couple spider codes I got to talk about. So I've had the spider code bug for years, and it's just like this little teeny tiny knife. I put it on my keychain, and I can't even tell you how many times this thing has come in handy. It's like this little knife that's maybe an inch and a half long. And it's perfect for a keychain because you got to open up an envelope or whatever and your keys are usually already out, which they should be because you should have some pepper spray on there as well. But anyway, it is super handy. I got the honeybee and the grasshopper. And like I said on nationalconcealedcarryassociation.com, you guys will get fat deals. It is so much less expensive than everywhere else I find. I'm like blown away. And besides the good prices, it's actually kind of a cool company. They were founded, I believe, this year. And it's just like a group of people that care about, you know, the Second Amendment, gun rights. Just kind of like a like-minded community. And I'm all about the knives, and they have an awesome knife selection. So I don't know if you guys are like more of like a gun situation. Uh, go check them out. They've got all kinds of stuff. They've got holsters for guns. they got ammo. You know, it depends on your state what you can actually get shipped there. But I'm all about it. So go check it out. Now, having said all of that about the knives, I just want to say again, like I've said on previous shows, girls, don't get a knife and think like you're going to be able to use this usually for like a defense mechanism if you get attacked by some weirdo. In most cases, a man will likely be able to take that knife from you and use it on you. So what I recommend is something like pepper spray, like gel form pepper spray, because that way you're not going to get as much as like, you know, a blowback if the wind is not in your direction. And that way you can spray this motherfucker and maybe kick him in the balls and run for your life because you want to just really get away from someone like that. You don't want to sit there and try to go toe to toe with some maniac man that's trying to hurt you. So like I've said before, girls, don't get knives and try to use that as your first line of self-defense. Get the pepper spray and get your ass out of there. 100%. Put it on a keychain. That's what I do. And like I literally tell you guys this every single time. Be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. And check this out, guys. I ran across this story today about a missing nine-year-old boy from Tennessee. And I'm not going to say or call the story as fishy quite yet. But let me tell you about it and just uh, make your own decisions. So the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation issued a statewide alert for a boy who disappeared Sunday and he hasn't been seen since. This little guy is only nine years old. His name is Jordan Allen Gorman 
and he was last seen by his parents at home in Ashland City. His parents are telling the authorities that I guess apparently they got into an argument and he got really upset with them and decided to run away. And according to Chetham County Sheriff's Office Lieutenant Ken Miller, the search resumed for Jordan on Monday morning. They've been canvassing the neighborhood and surrounding areas, but no one spotted him so far. They did put an alert out on Twitter, so if you want to go see it, it's there. I'll put a picture of the little guy up, of course, on Parlor and the Facebook account. But what he was last seen wearing was gray short sleeve t-shirt with red stripes on the arms and blue jeans. He's a white male who's about four foot tall and 75 pounds. Brown hair, brown eyes. If you have any information on Jordan's whereabouts, please contact the TBI at 1-800-824-3463 or the Chetnam County Sheriff's Office at 615-792-2098. Or you can contact me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com. You can go check me out on the new parlor account. And the Facebook is still there as of right now. Who knows how long that's going to be. But I don't know, you guys. He just looks so tiny. How does a nine-year-old boy just run away and he's able to, like, outsmart the cops and every all these people looking for him? So, I don't know, we're a few days into this little guy's disappearance. I'm definitely going to, like, keep you up to date on this one. Because, I don't know, I just, uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I do have to thank some of our downloaders before I run away today. Kamas Washington, what's up, guys? You just got to the number one spot. I think that's the first time. You guys have, like, been around since day one. That's what's up. I super appreciate everybody up there. And check this out. Indianapolis, you guys came out of nowhere to take the second spot place. Sacramento, we got in third place. And Pleasanton's up there, too. Hey, what's up, Kay? So, all you guys, I so appreciate the downloads. We've got them from all over the world. I think I've said it a couple of times, but it, like, literally amazes me. I'm super fucking excited that people in the UK are listening. We got people all over Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa's back. Hey guys, what's up? Ireland and Germany. So I appreciate you guys listening. If you guys have a lost or missing person you would like me to profile, you can contact me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or find me on the Parlor account. So I don't know, you guys should definitely go check out Parlor. Everybody like, I just hear whispers about it, but I never actually checked it out until I got banned from Instagram. It's, you know, it's like anything else. It takes a minute to get used to it and figure out how to work it. But like I said, I just set it up today. I've got maybe two posts up so far. But apparently they're not going to censor my ass. And that's what I'm all about. Let me have some free speech. I want to talk about what I want to talk about. And I'm not even being crazy. I'm not trying to spread conspiracy theories and all that fun stuff. I'm not queuing on. But I believe everyone has the right to say what they want to say. And if they want to talk about conspiracy theories, let them talk about it. I so don't see what the big problem is. Free speech is literally under attack, you guys. And if I hear one more person say that we need to be censored because people are too stupid, I might throw up at least three times. I just literally can't even handle it right now in life. But everyone, uh, I think you guys... Just pay attention. It might not have happened to you yet, so you're not really paying attention to it. But if you ever decide you have something to say and groups are, like, making a concerted effort to silence you, it's not cool. It's not American. 
And it just, like, uh, it pisses me off on a primal level. Like, who, why do you want to silence speech? That's how ideas are transferred. You might not agree with these ideas, but let people think and say what they want. Come on, it's not such a hard concept. But that's about it. I'm out. Don't forget, on Thursday, we are going to have a super special bonus episode with Sidekick Ken. We're just going to cover some of the crazy stuff that he brought to my attention that actually took me down the rabbit hole and the whole Instagram suspension. So it's, you know, just going to kind of be us bullshitting and catching up on what kind of madness is going on with the censorship. So check back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. I appreciate all of you. Come say hi in Parlor. Sign up. Come join the non-censorship revolution. And as I always say, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.